The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences. Financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. Welcome, welcome, fraud talkers, fraud talkers, fraud stalkers, and others in the fraud prevention and fraud education and awareness community. Even welcome to you would-be fraudsters who happen to be listening. I am your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Network platform. We every we air every week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen live, or you can listen at your leisure on, uh, to the audio file. Uh, this week, we have a terrific show with a very knowledgeable guest on the topic of white-collar fraud, particularly in the area of Ponzi schemes, and his name is Jordan Maglich. Uh, he's an attorney based down in Tampa, Florida, uh, and the creator of Ponzi Tracker Database, and he'll be joining us shortly. Uh, but for those who don't know me, uh, I am an international corporate investigator since uh, 1983, and um, <clears throat> I started my own firm back in 2006. Marquet International, which provides a variety of litigation support and investigation type services, consulting services for my clients uh, around the globe, and have been doing this uh, happily for for some time. Um, <clears throat> I've always had an affinity for uh, the, the fraud and the employee misconduct type cases. Uh, I started publishing the, the Marquet Report on Embezzlement, as well as the one-time Marquet Report on Ponzi schemes, which I published in 2011. That is that and many other articles that I've published on fraud and investigations, risk uh, mitigation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, many of those can be found on my website at marquetinternational.com, M-A-R-Q-U-E-T. Um, I also have the Fraud Talk blog and t- on Twitter at, at Fraud Talk, one word. You can find me as well on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, as we know, so at any time in any organization, there's always somebody who's up to no good. And fraud is claiming people, uh, victims every day. Uh, we have uh, this week, uh, we cataloged some 26 major embezzlement cases in the news in the United States alone, and those are cases uh, with $100,000 in losses or more, and that added up to about $13 million in losses to various organizations. Uh, again, tip of the iceberg, uh, but you know we're talking 26 cases in one week period, you know, three-plus cases every single day. It is, uh, it is amazing that uh, so much 
fraud goes on. Uh, and again, I think it's really just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Um, so, but we're here hopefully to uh, to identify it, to help organizations uh, deal with it, prevent it, squelch it, tamp it down. That the idea is to try to protect ourselves from from the fraud that is every day. Um, and we'd like uh, we'd like your input. So the call in line is 866-472-5790 if you would like to join the discussion. Uh, you can also email us or email me directly, chris at com. if you have a question or comment uh, and or a fraud of the week suggestion. Um, this week, however, we're not going to do the fraud of the week because we're going to talk about Ponzi schemes and I'm going to introduce that with the uh, report on Ponzi schemes I put out uh, back in 2011. Uh, in that study, we uh, we looked at over uh, clo- I think it was close to 350 major Ponzi schemes spanning close to a 10-year period between 2002 and mid 2011. Uh, that uh, those cases are cases in which a million dollars or more were lost uh, in those Ponzi schemes. So we're talking major cases. Uh, there are many more that go on every single day that are on smaller scale, and they get caught quickly. Uh, but these cases, uh, these are cases that tended to uh, stick around for a while. Uh, of course, you had the Madoff case in late uh, 20, uh, t- 2008, which broke, and um, our research indicated that you know the number of Ponzi schemes kind of jumped. You know, it had it had been increasing over the decade, but it jumped 2008 2009 timeframe. I'm sure, no doubt, as a result of the markets crashing at that time. And then, of course, once that Madoff case broke, you had increased uh, regulatory scrutiny. You had increased due diligence and uh, awareness. So other cases tended to follow with the with the crash, as these cases just simply. Uh, tend not to be able to sustain themselves for for terribly long periods of time uh, so let me let me just give you a few before I bring in uh, bring in Jordan uh, to the to the program let me give you a few of the results from and the statistics from my report which you can download for free it's a white paper at Mark International and um, so some of these some of the things that we found were, were these are Fascinating little tidbits. The median size of the cases, 350 cases, imagine. The median size was $20 million. And the reason we use median was because the if we looked at the average, it can be completely skewed up due to the Madoff case. The average duration of these cases lasted five years or so. Uh, and that is a fairly long period of time. Some of the cases, you know, boom, they were over within a month or two. Uh, others went on for decades, uh, like the Madoff case and others. Uh, but uh, typically, the cases that lasted longer were those in which the promised returns were simply uh, more <laughs> reasonable, if you will, uh, than uh, than others. Uh, those that that uh, that that promised, you know, crazy, crazy returns were uh, tended to blow up quicker. So. And we look at and we look at the average rate of return for those cases, or at least the, the median rate uh, we found was about thirty eight percent a return. And again, I mean, come on, folks. The if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It's probably a fraud. So, in other words, 
you know, if, 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 if the markets are running at 10, 10 or 8% and, and somebody's promising double that, it's too good to be true. You got to be very, very careful about that kind of thing. Uh, one of the other um, findings we came up with was that mo- the, the most common scheme involved in Ponzi, uh, Ponzi type investment frauds were fraudulent hedge funds. Uh, but there are many others, many other types, such as fraudulent real estate investment schemes, fraudulent pro- you know, promissory notes, and foreign exchange program trading programs. Uh, all kinds of different schemes uh, to bilk uh, investors from their hard-earned money. Um, interestingly, about forty percent of the Ponzi schemes were. Conspiracies. In other words, more than one individual was involved. You, you typically would have a, a primary, a principal uh, perpetrator uh, who would drive the scheme, but then others around that individual who were either in on it, you know, knowledgeable of one way or cooperated or helped to perpetrate the scheme. Uh, and that's probably another reason why a lot of these cases kind of fall apart because uh, when, as soon as you involve more than one individual, the risk goes up dramatically that, uh, that it's going to get uh, revealed in some fashion. Uh, so, uh, but that, that's a fairly, to me, that's a high percentage. When we looked at, when you look at the embezzlement cases, uh, much smaller uh, percentage are conspiracies. I think less than less than twenty percent, or maybe less than fifteen percent. It's a it's a much different uh, dynamic. Uh, another uh, interesting fact is that about twenty five percent of the Ponzi schemes we looked at utilize the so called affinity group schemes, and that is where you have uh, somebody who taps into uh, a, a like-minded group. It could be a religious organization, could be a civics or, civic organization, could be a corporation, could be a, a physical geographic uh, locale, uh, some sort of, typically it's going to be some sort of group where you already have a built-in level of trust uh, in, within the group. And, uh, and that's and that's uh, perhaps the reason why you know so many sort of religious groups and relig- Ponzi schemes that really feed off of a, a church uh, or, or a, a religion um, proliferate. You've got built-in, double built-in um, levels of trust, and as soon as you get the early investors who are promising, you know, oh, this is great return, you know, work with uh, my buddy Arthur Nadell um, because uh, he can get you great returns, and you know, we're all part of the same church. That's um, that's not the case with Arthur actually, uh, but. Um, but that that's where you've got huge amount of trust already built in and people are tend to get tend to get drawn in more easily and, and it's more believable when it's somebody within your so-called affinity group uh, another interesting fact here is that uh, more than 90 percent of these Ponzi schemes were perpetrated by men and this is uh, I'm not sure why that is but and, and maybe uh, Jordan can help us out with that but uh, that's contrasted by you know the embezzlement cases, where you have a higher percent. About two thirds of the cases are perpetrated by women, so it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. And I'm sure there's some psychology there that uh, at some point we'll get we'll get get into. Uh, but it's um, something of note. Also, uh, about one in eight of the cases, maybe twelve and a half, thirteen percent, had prior known prior histories of fraud. So, in other words. 
some of these people were serial fraudsters and perpetrators uh, who, if a proper due diligence had been conducted, uh, would have been found out. And that is an important uh, fact to know and, and uh, to think about. Uh, we talked about affinity fraud. Uh, Utah. Utah seemed to be one of those uh, geographic locales where there were a preponderance uh, of Ponzi skis uh, relative to the actual population of the state. So even though you have, like, out of New York, you have massive, massive cases like Madoff and, and in California and other jurisdictions, you know, in Chicago, uh, Texas, uh, you have massive cases. Uh, Utah seems to be sort of a hotbed, uh, and perhaps that's uh, that's partly due to some of the affinity schemes that uh, that we see coming out of there. Um, but you know, as I mentioned, and Jordan's going to Jordan and I are going to talk about this uh, uh, later in the program. But the other thing, you know, Ponzi schemes can generally be avoided, and with a proper level of scrutiny and due diligence and skepticism by investors, they can be uh, avoided uh, and uh, organizations and individual investors, um, institutional investors, uh, what have you, can protect themselves and prevent these things most of the time. Uh, and we're going to get into that. And when we come back, I'm going to introduce uh, Jordan Maglich. Uh, again, he is a lawyer by training, also a business person, an MBA uh, as well. Uh, and he is the... Uh, uh, the, the proprietor of something called the Ponzi Tracker Database. So we will be back in a couple minutes. Look forward to speaking with you. Thank you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. Uh, This is your host, Chris Marquet, and uh, we've been talking a little bit about Ponzi schemes. Uh, So I have my special guest. His name is Jordan Maglitch. He's an associate with the Tampa, Florida-based law firm of Wyan Garden King, and uh, he's also the creator of uh, something called the Ponzi Tracker blog and database. He's not only an attorney, but he's also an MBA, both from the University of Miami. Good morning, Jordan. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. My my pleasure. My pleasure. Let me tell. Let me just read a little bit about uh, Jordan's background. Uh, his practice, his legal practice, includes uh, complex litigate, commercial litigation and regulatory matters, focused on securities and financial services lit- litigation, and he re- represents securities brokers, dealers, investment advisors, and their associated individuals in federal and state court also in arbitration. Jordan also represents court-appointed receivers in connection with civil enforcement actions and currently represents the court-appointed receiver uh, nominated by the SEC in the Arthur Nadell $350 million Ponzi scheme uh, and also the court-appointed nominated receiver in the Florida Office of Financial Regulation in another uh, alleged $16 million investment fraud. Uh, Jordan graduated cum laude out of the University of Florida in 2006 in the honors program and holds uh, both an MBA and a political science degree. I'm sorry, uh, received his law degree and his MBA from the University of Miami Law, law School and Business uh, School. Uh, so Jordan is the author of Ponzi Tracker, a blog that uh, discusses the proliferations of, of Ponzi schemes across the United States. And this is one of the blogs. It's, it's, it was uh, been given by the ABA Journal's seventh annual blog, BLAWG, uh, top 100 blogs for legal audiences, uh, which is a very nice thing. And also, uh, he is a Forbes contributor and has a um, his blog, which is where it's hosted, as well as the Ponzi Tracker. Uh, date database, uh, which is a critical resource for those of you interested in Ponzi schemes, and uh, I am happy to say I helped uh, contribute in some sort of small way to the database, uh, which uh, is Jordan's baby. Jordan, tell us, uh, you're an expert extraordinaire in Ponzi schemes. Tell us uh, how this interest uh, came about and how you developed this uh, expertise. Sure, Chris. Um, well, when I came out of school, uh, I was fortunate enough to start working for uh, my firm here, and my firm, um, Burt Wyan, had just been appointed receiver um, by the SEC for the Arthur Nadell Ponzi scheme. Um, Arthur Nadell um, was accused of bilking um, several hundred investors out of several hundred million dollars uh, through his operation of several hedge funds, and I'm sure we'll get into that shortly. But um, after I started working here, um, you know, as you indicated earlier, Ponzi schemes really started um, proliferating, uh, certainly in the 08 and 09 time period, uh, and probably in conjunction with the, um, the economy going south. 
So as I started to experience that and, and see the other work that uh, court-appointed receivers and their professionals were doing in Ponzi schemes, I realized that really no one else was starting to track these things and um, you know, it was really starting to pick up. So I started PonziTracker.com back in June of 2011, um, and since then it's, it's had almost 1,000 articles. I, I've done the, the database, as you've indicated, and I've really tried to put it um, and position it as a resource not only for you know, fellow-minded uh, legal professionals, but also for investors and anyone else who needs a resource on Ponzi schemes. Yeah, and you come with the, the the interesting and unique background of both on the business side with your MBA as well as the legal side with your JD degree. So you kind of have you kind of bring both worlds together. Sure, and you know, and and I can truly say that I live and breathe it because you know my day job is acting as counsel to the receiver in Nadell. So you know, a lot of the issues that I write about are either issues that I deal with personally. Um, or that I can associate with, and I'm able to lend my insight on. So that the, the Arthur Nadell case, um, which devastated the Sarasota, uh, Florida area. My, my parents actually lived down there, and they're telling me about how. And Sarasota has a a terrific and vibrant uh, arts and performing arts and uh, nonprofit uh, community. Uh, but the Arthur Arthur Nadell came along, and not only you know fleeced a lot of the nonprofits. You know he'd give money to them, but then make them invest with in the in the funds. Uh, and then of course, then they all lost the money, and then of course, then they. It got clawed back. Right, right. Well, you, you see, <laughs> uh, it was absolutely uh, devastating. It, tell, tell, tell us about about this this fellow and what he did. I mean, because it's a uh, it's a it's an incredible story. Sure, and I'll try to uh, I'll try to keep it in a nutshell. Although I could probably talk all day about it. Um, we, well, we want to well, we want to hear the gore, some of the gory details. He came to Sarasota um, in, sometime in the 90s, and you know, he, unbeknownst to many, was a lawyer who was recently disbarred from New York for, believe it or not, uh, a fraud issue with one of a client trust accounts. So, so right, our, then and there, right then and there, if people had done their due diligence, they, they might have picked up on that. And that was something we later highlighted is you know, it, it is in the public realm and something that could have been discovered um, with a, a simple search. Right. Um, but Arthur so came said- down and started holding himself out as a investment advisor. Um, he was said that he was very skilled in, in picking stocks and could generate these great returns. Uh, and he started a series of hedge funds um, in about 2000, um, probably a little before then. And he told people that he had this this great strategy, and it was primarily concentrated in um, buying and selling what's called the quadruple Qs or the QQQQs. Um, which is a uh, collection of technology stocks traded on the NASDAQ stock exchange. And what he told investors is that he could generate these amazing returns from anywhere from 15% to 45 or 50% annually uh, simply through his, his secret trading strategy. Well, and, wasn't uh, on that point too, Jordan. I mean, weren't uh, weren't like the, in those early 2000s, so there was a couple of years there where the, the overall markets were like negative. Sure. Uh, and, he, and he was he was doing the opposite. And you know, not only did he tell investors that he could get these great annual returns, but his claim to fame was that he only had one or two um, negative monthly trading losses in what what became about a decade of trading. So again, this when you mentioned earlier about a red flag, that was another kind of red flag that, uh, looking back, many people said, you know, I, sh- I should have known that. 
Um, but you know, after he started his hedge funds, the money started flowing in. Um, Sarasota is a is a small town. That's actually where I'm from as well. Um, but it's also a um, a rapidly growing town, um, and there are a lot of um, retirees there. Um, and as you mentioned, a lot of a lot of arts and entertainment as well. So the money started flowing in with Arthur, and this also coincided with a, a newsletter publisher by the name of Donald Rowe, who had um, gathered a, a pretty significant following in his newsletters, and he started pitching Arthur Nadell as the best money manager he had ever seen, um, and and was, touting him as the best best thing since sliced bread. Were 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 they in collusion in any way, or, or was this just a, a failure of his own due diligence as a fellow Rowe? Um, well, we'd say a, a mixture of both, really. Um, the SEC later uh, investigated Mr. Rowe. I believe they, they filed charges against him. Um, Mr. Rowe didn't disclose, for example, that he was being paid commissions uh, on every dollar that came in, and he ultimately received millions of dollars in commissions. Uh, he also didn't disclose that he was investing with uh, Mr. Nadell as well. So, um, you know, and we did end up suing Mr. Rowe as well. So there was, there was I would, certainly I would call that collusion. <laughs> there were certainly some elements that weren't disclosed to investors that you know a prudent investor would probably want to know um, before acting on this kind of advice and, and advertisements of Nadell's prowess. Right. So Rowe starts touting uh, touting the the hedge funds, the Nadell hedge funds, in his uh, his newsletter. Right. Rowe, he starts touting it, and, and really the whole thing just skyrockets in popularity. Um, you know, he was listed on a website. I think it was called HedgeFund.net. Um, and, you know, his, his returns on paper look great. And, you know, in total, over about 10 years, Nadell took in approximately $330 million from investors. And while Nadell was paying these very handsome returns on these investments, uh, he was also paying management fees uh, and distributions that totaled about $100 million. So you had this operation that, while it was skyrocketing in investor funds coming in, um, the amount of funds being paid out was also skyrocketing as well as these fictitious management fees based on these fictitious uh, performance numbers. So, um, and, you know, Nadell, I guess, plays a part. Um, you alluded to the, you know, the art and entertainment um, niche in Sarasota, and Nadell would make the significant contributions to many different um, institutions in Sarasota. Uh, there were operas, there were um, fine arts, and one of the conditions that he made to them was that his donation would then be reinvested in his scheme. So unwittingly, by making these donations to uh, enhance his stature in the community, he also ended up drawing in these additional victims that, unfortunately, at the end of the day, uh, either lost money or were subject to litigation as a result of their uh, kind of coerced participation in Nadell's scheme. And, and many of these are still or just finally digging themselves out from under the rubble. Sure. True. I mean, it, you know, Nadell's... Um, the harm that Nadell inflicted certainly didn't stop when he was arrested. So it's, it's been a, a difficult toll, I think, for, for many involved. But so he gets arrested. That, I'm sorry, continue. Go, go ahead. I, I was leading up to, you know, the, I, the SEC started investigating, and, and in mid-January of 2009, uh, which coincided with a, a very low point uh, in the economy, um, Nadell disappeared. Um, the SEC stepped in, filed an emergency action in Tampa, um, accusing Nadell of operating a, a massive fraud. Um, and two weeks later, uh, Nadell surrendered to criminal authorities, and he was arrested and charged. 
and the receiver was appointed uh, the day that the asset freeze was entered by the district court. And and that was your colleague uh, yes. at the law firm? Yes, uh, SEC appointed um, my, my partner, uh, Bert Wyand, um, who was appointed as receiver. And for those who aren't familiar with what a, a receiver uh, functions as, it's very similar to, you know, in, in Mr. Madoff's scheme, the bankruptcy trustee appointed there, uh, although they're two different um, different things between a receivership and a bankruptcy. Um, the receiver's job is to recover funds for investors, to secure uh, and, and marshal all the assets he can, um, and to basically act as a an arm of the Securities and Exchange Commission in preserving um, any any available assets left for victims. And is that, that litigation ongoing still? Um, in terms of, of Nadell, uh, the civil litigation... Um, commenced and it subsequently ended after uh, Nadell really didn't contest it. Uh, he did contest the criminal proceedings in the beginning. He later ended up pleading guilty. Um, he then was sentenced to, I believe, 14 years in prison, uh, and he died uh, approximately two years ago in, in April of 2012 um, behind bars uh, in Butner, North Carolina, which is actually where Mr. Madoff is serving his sentence as well. Wow. He uh, he was like married a, a whole bunch of times and and he had a whole bunch of earlier schemes that he he, he perpetrated, didn't he? You're right. And, and again, this was uh, some of the things that we discovered about him um, that you know, we listed as what should have been considered red flags. You know, for example, when he moved to Sarasota, you know, he went through a divorce proceeding. And in that divorce proceeding, which was public record, he filed an affidavit indicating that he was basically indigent, that he had no money, uh, that, he, that he owed all this money to certain people. Um, and then, you know, several years later, he's claiming that he's a successful um, investor. So his, he certainly didn't um, have a background of uh, a successful financial management guru or someone who you would have thought um, you would trust in, uh, in trusting your money to. We will be back in a couple minutes. Look forward to speaking with you. Thank you. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, 
consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. What do business and sports have in common? Both are based on competition, and the goal of each is the same, to win. If you're in business, you need an edge over your competitors. You need to innovate and improve. You need to make adjustments to stay ahead of your competition. Tune in to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Get the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. The Business Locker Room airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C H R I S at M A R Q U E T International.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I'm your host, Chris Marquet. And on the line with us today, we have our guest, uh, Jordan Metch, who's been telling us and regaling us the story about uh, Arthur Nadell down in Sarasota, uh, the late uh, Ponzi schemer who uh, devastated the, uh, the Florida business and nonprofit community uh, several years ago and his law firm and he's been serving as counsel to the receiver in that case. Um, welcome back, Jordan. Thank you, Chris. So uh, you, so this is this kind of got you into the realm of, of the Ponzi scheme world. Uh, and you, you, you mentioned how you noticed that, that nobody had really been sort of tracking these things and, and putting it out there. So you decided to start uh, the Ponzi tracker. Tell, tell us about that and, uh, and um, maybe some of the, the, the recent cases that, that you've, been, uh, um, you've been tracking. Sure. Yeah, you know, as I, as I mentioned, when I started serving as counselor to the receiver here, um, obviously, you know, the, the economy was down, and um, that had coincided with a lot of these Ponzi schemes being uh, being revealed and, um, you know, a, a, just a, a horrifying picture of people losing billions and billions of dollars. 
So, you know, I, I noticed that no one had a, a central resource that was really tracking these things, and that was when I started the blog back in um, June of 2011. And since then, what I've, I've tried to do is um, provide really a, a daily update uh, in terms of, you know, news around the world and primarily the U.S., uh, tracking Ponzi schemes, um, not only for people who, you know, may be involved in them or trying to learn about them, um, but also for, you know, other legal professionals or financial professionals um, involved in or assisting with uh, prosecuting these, these schemes. So started the blog, I, you know, it initially started as uh, really just articles, um, and since then it's, um, it's really grown. Um, what, I've, what I've added to it has, um, has been uh, resources for um, investors, resources for lawyers, um, this includes a, a database of all the filings um, that I've been able to amass all over the Internet, which is several thousand, um, and these are legal filings used in various aspects of, of receiverships and bankruptcies um, concerning Ponzi schemes. Um, it also includes, as you alluded to, uh, a database, um, which, uh, as, you, as you indicated, I, I noticed that there was a, a good resource um, for keeping track of all these schemes, and that was put out by you, um, but that for the last few years in 2011, 12, and 13, uh, there hadn't been one put together. So using your yeah, yeah uh, mine your was certainly not a yeah mine was certainly not a real time real time database. It's sort of a one time shot with uh, with analysis uh, on the on the schemes. But but what Ponzi Tracker and by the way, folks, you can go to www.ponzitracker all one word dot com to To get to Jordan's blog and the and to the database, uh, there's all kinds of resources there. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Jordan, continue. But yeah, yeah, so what I what I set out to do then was try to see if I could um, put a database together that had all of the policy schemes in the last five years, and this took a while. Um, I ended up finding over 500 different schemes, um, and and again, my criteria was was typically uh, over um, $1 million involved in each scheme. Um, and what I did with that information was, you know, I, I, I analyzed it and was able to you know, amass a bunch of data as well, um, in addition to just the name and the amount of money. So, you know, as you indicated, I also found that, you know, about 90% of the people uh, perpetrating these schemes were males. Um, I found that certain states had a, a higher percentage of, of people um, committing Ponzi schemes. And I also tracked, you know, how long these people went to jail for. And, you know, just looking at the database from, you know, 10,000 feet, you know, you're looking at uh, over 500 schemes, over $50 billion in losses or money involved. Uh, you're looking at thousands of years uh, in, in prison sentences handed down to these people. So, you know, it, it so why do you shows. think, Jordan, why, why is it always a man? I, I don't know <laughs> if I can answer that. Um, but I think that there's, you know, there certainly is a, a psychological profile uh, that I, that I think lends itself to people committing these kinds of schemes, and you know, I've I've seen some article or some book along the way of of someone trying to put that psychological profile together, and I, I guess the best answer I can give is that that psychological profile lends itself better to men than women. But you know, it certainly hasn't been without your share of women. You know, there have there's been some notable ones by women in, in prison sentences as well, but certainly not on the stage of of Madoff, a Stanford, or a Petters. Right, right. Stanford out of uh, RL and Stanford out of Texas, or or uh, Petters out of uh, Minnesota. Uh, so these, I mean, the, there there hasn't been a lot of 
analysis done on the psychology of this. I mean, I've, you know, it's always something that fascinated me. I I just, it's, it's hard to figure, you know, what goes, what goes on in the mind of, of these people. I mean, I I believe they, they literally come to believe that whatever they're doing is is not wrong or they're entitled to these returns and, you know, they're, their blatant lies and falsehoods and false documentation provided to investors uh, is somehow not wrong. I mean, how? Do, what's what's your take on that? Well, I mean, you you see someone who you know kind of has what they call a gift for gab, uh, in that you know it's a person who can can talk to anyone, is very outgoing and friendly. Um, you know, people who talk to them identify them as being very trustworthy um, and someone who they can get along with. Um, you then have, you know, the varying degrees of, you know, how the, the individual is carrying out the scheme. Um, and you, you generally get a sense of, you know, there's certainly some people who, you know, from the, from the get-go say, I, I'm going to commit a fraud and this is how I'm going to do it. You also may have some people who may have um, intended to uh, have a legitimate operation. But when things started going south, instead of telling their investors, whether it's out of pride um, or some other sense of, you know, not wanting to, you know, admit that they failed, uh, they kept going with the hope that they could kind of trade themselves out of it or dig themselves out of it. And, and, they, and they just and, kept digging and digging, and it, it compounded on itself. Correct. And, you know, and, and, you know the, the lifeblood of a Ponzi scheme is, you know, it, it, it cannot survive without um, a constant inflow of new money because of the, uh, the heightened returns that they're paying out on um, activity that really doesn't exist. So when the when the money starts drying up coming in and it can't satisfy the money that they've promised um, to existing investors, uh, then it collapses. And another part aspect of this profile, if you will, is you know these folks uh, tend to live a very lavish lifestyle, and they are going on you know they're traveling, they're you know on various you know junkets. There's homes galore, you know, massive homes. There's boats, and um, we should say more like vessels <laughs> instead of boats, yachts, and uh, you know aircraft, uh, art, uh, horses. Is, you name it. Uh, I'm, I'm, am I right about that? That's where you know. So they're spending. Not only are they trying to pay higher returns to their investors to continue the influx, but they're also spending the money like uh, like there's no tomorrow. Uh, so so it dries up pretty quickly. And then of course when the when the market turns, boom, it's uh, everything. Everything tends to come crashing down. Exactly. You know, I think it's twofold. You know, one, people are trying to to play the part um, and look like someone who they're projecting themselves to be, you know, very successful. You know, they, they make a good living doing what they do. Um, giving, then, to, uh, giving to, uh, to various philanthropies. Sure. And, you know, and, and, and in doing that, they're not only, um, you know, contributing to the community, but, you know, they're enhancing their stature in the community. Um, you know, an investor may say, well, if, you know, if the YMCA or uh, the Boys and Girls Club is going to take donations from this guy, then, you know, he's got to be above the belt. Um, and you know, it, it helps to enhance his stature to the public at large as well. So it, you can say it's for the public benefit, but it's also for that individual's benefit as well. 
So, so we have a we have a couple of minutes left here, Jordan, before the next break. But um, what in your mind, you know, in looking at all of these things from ten thousand feet, all these cases of the last uh, that you've been amassing, and you and you continue to amass them going forward, and I think you're also trying to claw backwards, if you will, <laughs> a little bit uh, into earlier time frames. Uh, what I mean, what are the the most common schemes that you see employed? Well, you know, you you mentioned earlier about hedge funds, and you know that it is the, one of the most popular ones. And you know, with with Arthur Nadell, that was what we were dealing with here. Um, what you see a lot too is you know schemes by people who are who advertise that they're able to make these returns through some some kind of un, uncommon investment strategy. You know, we see people investing in livestock, um, or we see people um, you know promising investors returns through um, you know confidential lawsuits. Um, so you see people kind of moving away from the traditional hedge funds and, and financial instruments to, you know, promising returns to these secret strategies or, um, or ventures that uh, supposedly yield these crazy returns. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. It's uh, almost anything you can think of. Uh, somebody's going to have tried to, to, to corner the market. And they, in fact, invent types of, you know, various types of uh, uh, of instruments. Say, you know, the uh, the old prime banknote going way back. Uh, I remember that going back into the into the eighties uh, was a common scheme. So you've got these completely phony and unregistered securities, which, by the way, is another red flag. It's something that uh, anybody doing an ounce of due diligence would uh, would hopefully find. Um, but that's uh, unfortunately. Uh, uh, not the case with uh, in many of these cases. No, it's not. And you know, Our, with a lot of people, you know, if they the old adage proves true. If it's too good to be true, it it probably is. And you know, you see people talking in retrospect. You know, when when these schemes collapse, that you know they had thought it, it was kind of fishy or they didn't quite understand how they were making these returns. But in the end, it was too late. Great. Well, we're, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back uh, with Jordan Maglich uh, for our final segment. And uh, if you have uh, f- uh, any questions or calls you'd like to call in on the uh, the line, uh, the listener call in number is 866-472-5790. We'd uh, appreciate a call and we can you can join the conversation. Welcome back in a few minutes. Thank you. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Are you and your business well-prepared? For what, you may ask? Well, what about workplace violence, cyber attacks, or general business disasters? Listen for Fear is Negotiable, Business Survival Skills 101 with your host, Pamela Hill. We'll bring you case studies of the businesses that don't prepare and the consequences that can happen. We'll also bring you best practice strategies that can help you keep your business running smoothly. Tune in to Fear is Negotiable, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Our 
highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I'm your host, Chris Marquet, and with me today is Jordan Maglich, uh, who is an attorney and an MBA uh, by training, and he is the counsel to the receiver in the Arthur Nadell $350 million Ponzi scheme case based out of Florida, and uh, he's been regaling us with uh, the, the Nadell case and talking about the Ponzi tracker database that he has developed and run and the blog that he does every day updating uh, with all kinds of resources, terrific uh, resources uh, about Ponzi schemes. If you're a lawyer, if you're a financial institution, investor, etc., an investigator, uh, the uh, the resources at Ponzi tracker are, are just terrific. Welcome back, Jordan. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Well, so we uh, we've been talking about uh, the Nadell case, but but you, your blog and, and your which you update every single day, and you're pulling in cases. You actually have case files that you can read the full indictments or information that are filed, SEC filings, you name it, um, and litigation uh, filings, uh, samples, etc. Um, you update that every single day, and you're tracking on top of that cases that are coming along uh, and bubbling up. In, in the uh, in the world, mostly here in the United States, but uh, but all over. Uh, tell us uh, tell us a bit about some uh, more interesting ones recently. Well, there's one I've been um, paying a lot of attention to recently. Um, it's called Telex Free, uh, T E L E X F R E E, um, and that was a it's a company that um, had recruited uh, people through social media to um, to enter into these, these various. Um, investment programs, and they, they promise these crazy extravagant returns. Uh, the uh, authorities have said it's over 200% annually, um, and usually it was just for placing several online ads a day for these uh, voice-over internet protocol or VOIP um, products. 
And you know what the company also did is it incentivized uh, its investors to recruit other investors. So you know, with social media and Twitter and Facebook, um, the number of investors skyrocketed, and you know the, the company was taken in hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, however, in April it, it filed bankruptcy in Nevada, and two days later, both the SEC and the Massachusetts Securities Division filed uh, administrative actions against. Uh, the company accusing it of being a, a massive Ponzi and pyramid scheme. Um, the founders were later indicted, um, and that's it's an ongoing civil and criminal matter. Uh, and authorities have estimated that there's hundreds of thousands of victims um, all over the world, and they may have lost hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. Wow, that's so, it's just massive. It, it's it's one I've been paying attention to, and you know, it it literally has affected people from all over the globe. Um, you know, the the scale is almost unprecedented. There was another. Ponzi scheme about two years ago called Zeke Rewards um, that was a an online auction uh, company that similarly had uh, incentivized uh, investors to recruit other ones. Um, so you're seeing you know an, an operation that has hundreds of thousands of investors, and you know it, it certainly is going to be no small task to n- not only try to reconstruct it but to try to recover money and, and make some of these victims whole. So these guys were based uh, the, in the Telex case, uh, based out of Nevada. Uh, or Massachusetts? They were based in Massachusetts. Um, they filed in Nevada uh, because one of the companies, um, the subsidiaries they were using was based in Nevada. So, you know, what they, what some people think they tried to do is to try to file a quick bankruptcy, eliminate all their obligations, and, and keep moving forward. Um, however, you know, when the SEC got involved, they uh, successfully moved the Nevada Bankruptcy Court to transfer it to Massachusetts, you know, where you had the district court that was overseeing the SEC's enforcement action. Uh, and, you know, the bankruptcy is, is, is proceeding. There was an independent trustee appointed. Um, he recently admitted, um, based on his review, that the company was operating a Ponzi or pyramid scheme, um, and that's going forward. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a significant um, action that's going to probably go on for the near future. And with the advent of all the social media, you have people, it's not, you have people being recruited all over the globe uh, into the scheme. Sure. You know, you know, back in back in the old days, you know, ten years ago, um, you know, the, the really the only way that people found these um, these schemes were through word of mouth or you know a coffee house seminar. Um, but they, these days, you can put a post on Twitter and say, "I'm making 200 percent a year. Contact me for details." And you have to have an audience of hundreds of millions, of billions of people. So it's you know, it's, that's one it's of the just ways amazing. These schemes have now gone from you know local or regional to national, multinational, or global. So yeah, and to me it's just amazing, uh, you know, that, that you have people uh, who who fall for this sort of thing. Let's talk a bit about prevention strategies. Uh, you know, you you have you know everything from the the, the individual investor, the you know granny who gets uh, you know loses her pension to these things, to sophisticated investors, institutional investors, and others get caught up in these things and and built. Mm-hmm. Let's talk, talk talk about some of the prevention strategies that uh, I think are uh, is, is very important. Well, I could probably give you three tips, um, and not in any order of, of importance. Um, but the first one would be to ask questions. Um, you, you know, you have all too common these situations where the person offering the investment is not willing to tell you how they do it, um, how they get these outsized returns, um, and you know sometimes there's a, a factor of intimidation. If if you don't believe me, then don't invest with me. Um, so, you know, I would, I would tell you to ask questions, you know, ask your, um, the investment 
advisor how they're getting these returns, ask them for documents showing um, where their money's being held or, or evidencing the transactions that they're saying they're using to make these returns. Um, the next tip I would tell you is to do your own research. Uh, you know, don't take these uh, representations at face value. Go to Google, type in their name. Um, with Arthur Nadell, you know, a, a Google search or a, um, a similar legal search would have found that Mr. Nadell uh, had, or had, um, had been embroiled in divorce proceedings where he filed an affidavit saying he was indigent and that he was disbarred in New York for, um, for fraudulent conduct. So you know, a, a simple uh, typing in the Google search can sometimes yield some things that you know, the person may not want you to know. Um, finally, it would just be to trust your gut. Uh, a lot of what I was alluding to earlier, you know, people enter in these uh, transactions and say, uh, you know, I, I may not have fully understood it or, you know, it makes sense now after it's busted. But a lot of the times, you know, the, the mantra is true. If it, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is. Right. So trust your tummy. Your tummy tells you there's something wrong. And it probably is uh, right. in, in most cases. Uh, yeah, it's so so. Uh, so doing your own due diligence, uh, and it doesn't co- have to cost a lot, folks. Uh, it's going to cost a lot more later on down the road, uh, having to try to unravel and try to uh, get some kind of recovery. And you're never, ever going to re- be 100% whole. Uh, you might not even be 50% whole. You might not even be 25% whole. What's, what's your gut on this, Jordan, on recovery percentage on average? Um. I haven't seen an official figure. My my estimation is it's in pennies on the dollar, um, and I base right. that on the IRS lets you deduct for a theft loss. I think up to ninety five percent of your loss. So to me, that's kind of an implicit um, indication that they don't expect your recovery to be over or over five percent on average. Um, right. Yeah. It typically is pennies on the dollar. Uh, I, I have a section on my website that I put up about a week ago that tracks the top five recoveries. Um, and, you know, you have some certainly outstanding situations where for two of them, the investors will recover 100% of their losses. And, you know, that, that's great in and of itself. But when you consider that you know, there are over 500 Ponzi schemes in the last five years at least, um, you know, that isn't saying too much. And, you know, when you get down to the top five recovery, you're, you're looking at 40%. Right. So these are actually the realities. It's, it's much lower. We're going to have to close it out uh, at this point. Thank you, everybody. Join us next week at 10 a.m. Uh, for Eastern Standard Time for another Fraud Talk edition. We're going to be talking to our guest uh, next week, which is uh, Bill Worth, who's an attorney based here in Boston. He's handled a whole bunch of uh, white-collar fraud cases uh, for his clients. And we want to thank very much Jordan Maglich, uh, with, uh, who is, so please go to PonziTracker.com and check out Jordan's blog. Thank you, Jordan. And thank thank everybody for joining us. Yep, my pleasure too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon. 